Welcome to the Arts Hubbub, a monthly look inside Australian arts and artists. I'm your host, George Stunford. Have you snapped back or found some sense of your new normal yet? Hmm, we haven't either. At Arts Hub, we've been thinking about how the coronavirus might be the catalyst for real change. Rather than going back to the way we were, we've been wondering, what are some of the ways that we can take the best of the experiences out of lockdown? Because lockdown did change the way we all do business and engage with the arts, from major festivals to backyard gigs. What do you do when coronavirus cancels your literary festival just as tickets go on sale? Artistic director of the Sydney Writers' Festival, Michaela Maguire, faced just this challenge and had to, to use that buzzword, pivot her program online. We chat with Michaela about what those adaptations meant for the festival. In this edition of The Nudge, Arts Hub Sabine Bricks was curious about the strengths of taking events online. Sabine speaks with Josh Carell about reaching international audiences by engaging artists from afar. For sound designer Steph O'Hara, the lack of applause and laughter made online events devoid of human contact. So he created a clever solution so artists could get that real-time feedback. And what if your business involves hosting gigs in other people's homes? How do you adapt that for lockdown? Sabine speaks to Matt Walters from Parlour Gigs about how he's embraced business as unusual. The Sydney Writers' Festival is one of the highlights of the publishing calendar. Every May, the festival brings in a prestigious mix of international and Australian writers, launching new books and often making or breaking careers. So what happens when COVID has other plans? It was one of the worst weeks of my life, certainly I think the worst professional week of my life. So on the Monday of that week, I woke up to an email from one of our headline authors, Anne Patchett, saying that she just didn't feel that she could take the risk of getting on a plane and then potentially being stranded somewhere that she didn't want to be stuck for a very, very long time. And sort of from that moment, I just I just felt the way that it was going to go. We launched the festival on the Thursday night of that week. It sort of had this amazing... Life That's Michaela Maguire, Artistic Director of the Sydney Writers' Festival. For Michaela, the news of lockdown gradually started to erode the festival she and her team had been working on for months. Then the next morning, tickets went on sale at nine o'clock. That day carried on as it usually would on sale in the office. Everyone was, you know, mildly hungover, very proud, very excited, just having a lovely time, like monitoring the social media reactions and seeing the audience members' excitement for the program. And then just after lunch, um, our head of marketing was walking across the office with the final version of the e-news that was to go out that day, properly announcing the program to our subscribers. And she's like, this is just about ready. And I've said the chief medical officer is about to make an announcement that they're banning mass gatherings. And yeah, her face just absolutely fell. So then we pressed pause on sending out the e-news, all gathered around a computer and watch the announcement and then, yeah, just very quickly talked about what we were going to do. It became apparent that we couldn't continue selling tickets. Um, so we worked really quickly to get an announcement about a suspension of the ticket sales out within the hour. We couldn't stop the Sydney Morning Herald programs from being distributed <laughs> to millions of Sydney siders the next morning. So it was very weird that like, this program was out there and people were excited about it. But it already seemed apparent that we wouldn't be able to go ahead. And then on the Monday, we made the official cancellation. 
So it had a very, very, very short shelf life um, of just four days after a year of putting together this really wonderful and weirdly prescient program. Um, The theme of this year's program was Almost Midnight, which just seems horribly on the nose now. It's still a wonderful program, you know, even though it didn't happen. It, It must be very odd to have that experience of putting something out and knowing that people aren't going to get to experience it. What was the feedback from people who were buying tickets in your audience? Tickets were selling really well. Like we were quite surprised that um, people, I guess people knew that they would get a refund if we couldn't go ahead. So they figured they had, you know, very little to lose, I guess, by buying tickets. Um, But yeah, in a few short hours, we sold, I think it was over $150,000 worth of tickets. And it wasn't just her professional life that was impacted. Michaela's partner, Liam Piper, also works in the arts and was hit by lockdown. His novel was released just as Michaela was putting the finishing touches on the program. Yeah, it was really a double whammy in our household. Um, Liam launched his new book, Sweetness and Light, on the 11th of March. City Writers Festival launched the next day and then months of events were cancelled the day after that. So Liam had one physical launch in Sydney, but then the rest of his tour was quickly cancelled enormous billboards of his book went up and down King Street uh, and through Melbourne as well um, right after lockdown really clamped down. So there were these beautiful billboards just, yeah, looming over almost entirely empty streets. Apparently there were also light walls of his books at airport bookstores at the worst possible time to be advertising inside an airport. So it's been pretty disappointing for him. He wrote a marvellous book that he spent years and years working on. And yeah, just as soon as this all started happening, he quite quickly realised that it wouldn't reach as many people as it would if he were able to go into bookstores, meet booksellers um, and meet his audience in person. So he's been making the most of it and has done a couple of virtual events. So where are we now? What's been the impact on the festival and how have you, to use the terrible phrase, pivoted? It's such a terrible word. I think we've adapted quite well. We had a lot of conversations in the couple of weeks. Um, I mean, first we sort of had a terrible week of just unpicking the festival as it was meant to take place, getting in contact with all the stakeholders and artists and hotel contracts and venue contracts and all of that sort of stuff and working through you know, 60 international flight cancellations, all that really unpleasant business. But then once we were through that, we started to think about how we could best salvage this program because, you know, it's... If nothing else, it's an incredible reading list and we really, really wanted to celebrate the writers whose work was featured in it. You know, I'm acutely aware of how many publicity campaigns are completely worked out years in advance with the idea that that writer will launch their book at Sydney Writers Festival and that will be sort of their first public airing. So we wanted to honour that work um, as much as we could. The Sydney Writers Festival established a podcast channel in 2016 that has a really great subscriber base already. And I think even after a couple of weeks of lockdown, we were all feeling screen fatigue quite acutely. So it made sense to us to focus on podcasts. We usually would record all of those podcasts on stage at the festival. So then working out how to get those recordings happening in the midst of a pandemic took an enormous amount of work. We launched that podcast program on the week that would have been festival week and for the six weeks between the cancellation and the launch and the launch of the podcast series like we really worked I think as hard or harder than we would have if we were leading up to a regular festival. 
one of the great benefits of holding a live festival is that we just whenever anyone accepts an invitation we say excellent thank you um please block out these entire four days and we'll let you know what your schedule is but now when we're trying to organize these conversations we have to worry about different time zones for a start children's swimming lessons doctor's appointments when someone's partner is on a zoom call in the same small apartment so there's an enormous amount of work going back and forth just to line up the timings um so i think we're actually communicating and doing more administrative work to organize these podcasts than we ever would just to get a festival session up on stage. Sydney Writers Festival has also found a way to make their digital events feel a little bit more physical by adding alcohol. They went to one of their partners, the distillery Archie Rose, and created an online event with a debut author to try and capture the vibe of a face-to-face event. And so we put our heads together and realized that you know, we could still bring the best elements of book clubs to an audience, which is really good alcohol and a really good conversation with a great author. So our team had a talk about what book would be the best one to feature. Um, we put a couple of suggestions to Archie Rose and they were very happy with the idea of featuring Roddy Scott's debut novel, The Adversary. And that event went really well. We were selling packs that included a custom cocktail from Archie Rose and a copy of The Adversary. And we had 140 people take them up really quickly, which was the maximum that we felt we could fit in a Zoom book club. So hopefully it'll be the start of a really great series ongoing because I don't think that that will stop being appealing once people are out of lockdown. I think a lot of people are talking about sustainability as well at the moment, that there are a lot of stimulus around, you know, both private and government money. How do you see yourself surviving for next year and the year after? Um, It's going to be challenging next year, I think, in particular, because it just seems so unlikely that we'll be able to have the international superstars who are such reliable box office catnip. We also have to deal with the fact that we're in a recession people won't have as much money to spend on tickets as they usually would. And it's still very unknown how safe people are going to feel coming out to very large theatres. At Carriage Works, every hour we're filling a 1,000-seat theatre, a 500-seat theatre, a 350-seat theatre and a 250-seat theatre. So there's a couple of thousand people milling around the precinct at any given time. And, you know, people will be right to be nervous about that. Mm. You mentioned Carriage Works, which the future of Carriage Works is not clear at the moment as well. A lot of people have talked about it as a bit of a cultural canary in the coal mine. This might be the first of many organisations that sees the pressure of losing public performance spaces. What do you think of the future for public performance? I really hope not, but it is hard to see a way forward without a fairly large injection of cash from either our government or in the case of Carriage Works, private philanthropists have already stepped up and made donations. But, you know, that's quite a big call to turn over the future of every single performing arts complex in the country to philanthropic support. So I think we are in for a pretty rocky few years. When we return to normal, do you think there are some things that will come out of this that Sydney Writers Festival and other arts organisations will take with them as good discoveries from lockdown? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, Sydney Writers Festival feels more adaptable, I guess, and flexible and limber than we ever have before. We had a really good run of just doing something very, very well and then continuing to do it very well every subsequent year. So this has been a good opportunity to sort of stock take and really, I guess, 
define the elements of what we do well and like try and sort of distill that and figure out what it is that people love so much about this festival. I hope that because we're seeing such great numbers with our podcast subscribers that we are reaching new audiences who didn't necessarily know what Sydney Writers Festival was or had come along to it in the past who hopefully will be ready to join us whenever it's possible to do so safely in person. Until we can attend the Sydney Writers Festival in person, you can listen to their podcast that features writers and thinkers who would have been part of that pre-pandemic program. We're looking forward to a live program in 2021 when the festival can truly get back to business. The Australian Film, Television and Radio School's Virtual Information Week kicks off from 6th to 11th of July. It's your chance to discover how afters could accelerate your creative career with any one of several Master of Arts, Screen or Graduate Diploma in Radio. Tickets are limited, so register now at afters.edu.au. Alright, time for the nudge your monthly dose of how-tos for your practice from artists who've been there. This month, Sabine Bricks looked at how several artists adapted their practice around lockdown. Sabine, you're a musician yourself, so how do you think performers have adapted to what they do under lockdown? Yeah, I think performers have really adapted the way that they do things, especially during covid I guess for me, uh, the main area that I work in is electronic music production and the way that I've seen people really adapt their practice there is in terms of DJ streaming. I guess usually a lot of DJs and performers, they'd be doing a live event. So they've obviously had to think of a different way to do that. And now with gaming platforms such as Twitch, they've sort of been trying to think of more innovative ways. And some of those ways have been I guess using 3D technology to create a virtual room that they might have um, where people can chat. And so there'll be, you know, a virtual performer that might've been pre-recorded beforehand. And then people will hop into a chat room and then they'll discuss that particular performance. So I think that's been quite an innovative way in which people have done it, but whether or not that ends up becoming more of a practice, I guess when all the venues open up again, will remain to be seen. But I've seen performance groups curate their online events in other interesting ways as well. And um, Josh Carell, he's from Littlefoot and Company, and I ended up talking to him about the way both he and his sister adapted their spoken word and performance event for Facebook Live. A few years ago, they began hosting the event from their living room and returned there after their residency at Melbourne's Bunjil Place was suspended due to COVID. The essence of Littlefoot and Company was to use art and create safe spaces for people to kind of get together and share and connect. And, you know, probably for the last like five years, it's probably been a bit more serious, but the last two, it's kind of, you know, this is kind of the direction that we wanted our lives to go in and to continue to be able to provide platforms and spaces for creativity and the community to kind of connect and share. And then since COVID, we've kind of, yeah, just transitioned everything online and been running our spoken word nights online and some art spaces on Saturday mornings and just still trying to provide that space for community art and that connection that we were known for in, in the southeast. One of the advantages of hosting events online are the way they can bring artists from different geographic locations together, giving you access to guests who usually couldn't fly in for a gig. One of the, I think, critical or crucial things for us that was allowed it to kind of grow and to reach a different audience was you know, we are in the southeast, so we're very lucky over the period of time we've had a lot of feature poets and, you know, 
Melbourne spoken word artists come down and feature in our spaces, but you know, a lot of these artists are particularly city-based. So just by having it online, we were able to actually reach a lot of them who were willing to kind of send us a piece. And, you know, we actually somehow made it to like Spain. We had people sending us poems from Spain and America and England. And it was just kind of crazy just to realise that the reach was there. Josh is reaching people all over the world through these online performances. And I was curious if he'd continue to host events online to reach a wider audience. You know, there's nothing really like a physical space for the spoken word scene and the poetry kind of scene, and particularly at Bunjil where, you know, it's this studio that's just, you know, the atmosphere and the ambience in the space is just kind of a little bit different. So missing that has been a little bit challenging, but at the same time, you know, we're kind of now looking at, all right, maybe we could do one month in a physical place and then the next month could be online and kind of keep doing it in that way just because of there are some people that we are reaching that are really kind of benefiting and getting a lot of like the therapeutic benefits out of the spaces that we create online. So if online arts events are going to be something we see more of in the future, how can we help support artists in their endeavours on the web? Steph O'Hara is a sound designer, composer and the co-founder of Clappy. He found that sonic feedback was really missing from the online experience. Well, once we went into isolation due to COVID, I was watching a lot of friends start streaming performances and it felt to me that there was a missing element, especially at the end of a song or at the end of a circus trick. There was just this sort of awkward silence and um, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice to hear the audience? Because often uh, on Instagram and a lot of the streaming services, I could sort of see the audience or the love hearts would sort of come onto the webpage. And I thought, oh, imagine if those hearts were actually the sound of people clapping. And out of this, Clappy was born. Clappy is an easy-to-use, lo-fi web-based app where users can trigger clapping sounds like this. And laughing sounds like this. <laughs> Performers are all used to hearing applause or laughs that build to a crescendo, and Clappy highlights how much people like to be heard in public spaces. I had lots of positive feedback about people feeling like they really needed something like this. And it's interesting that a lot of people actually came out with, we should have this for the football which was an interesting discussion also because there's been a lot of discussion comparing the sports and the arts and both communities have struggled in this time. So yeah, this idea of a live spectacle and then providing a way of interacting with this live spectacle remotely, yeah, has been interesting and a lot of excitement around it. Many artists have become fluent in these different streaming technologies. I wanted to know if Steph thought artists would continue to engage with these online platforms once venues started opening up again. I think that this is a new chapter in sort of the democratisation of streaming. And that, you know, I think any kind of corporate network is absolutely scared of what's happening because everyone everyone can be their own tv station their own streaming service so i think a lot of venues now that they've set up their own streaming services or music clubs and bands i think that because the technology is now there and everyone's set up i think you'll find that even when live performances start coming back you're certainly going to get those concerts and those performances also being streamed at the same time.
home for anyone who can't come physically to the venues. So it's a new way of finding audiences and it's also bringing kind of a global audience to any performance, which is pretty exciting. What will performance spaces look like in the future? While lockdown has provided an online space for artists to reach new audiences, we all know it's not the same as connecting with a live crowd. Parlour Gigs is a platform that allows fans to invite their favourite musicians to play an intimate gig in their backyard. Although the platform began pre-COVID, it's a model we might see more of in the future. So Parlour is a technology platform. We make it really easy for artists to book in shows directly with their fans. Private house shows are predominantly what we do, although we've increasingly been facilitating shows for small enterprises like bookshops and record stores and then also some some small venues here in Australia, New Zealand and we launched globally at the beginning of 2019 and sort of have a very modest business in the United States and, and around Europe so it's just really getting started there. But yeah, the core service is making it really easy for artists and their teams to book these shows in, manage every aspect of them, get paid, all the things that technology can do. That's Matt Walters, the founder of Parlour Gigs. With the threat of many live music spaces disappearing due to increased rents and now the impact of COVID-19, a business model like Parlour could be something more audiences embrace in the future as we move into the unknown. Matt says bigger venues that would usually be packed with punters may have a different ambience due to lockdown restrictions. The big question I have is, you know, if you go to a show at the Tivoli or at the Forum or whatever and you're only allowed 100 people in there, like how weird is that show going to be um, <laughs> to be there? It might be really special, but it also will be a strange experience. So, yeah, I can, I can see Parlour being a necessary part of the ecosystem in the new world because it will be different. As restrictions ease, audiences will return slowly and some might be nervous about coming back to bigger venues. For artists whose income has been affected by COVID and who miss playing live, a model like Parlour Gigs could work for them because audience numbers are small. The main thing I'm saying to anyone that I speak to is that we're really keen to work with all sorts of artists. So yeah, if you're in a position where you're thinking, how am I gonna get active and start earning again? In a live sense, this is really one way that you can do it. And obviously with Parlour shows, you need to have kind of a profile to get started, but we do work with a lot of artists that only have a pretty small fan base and are able to go out and and play these shows. Talking to Josh, Matt and Steph made me reflect on the ambiguity of what will happen when restrictions ease. We just don't know how things will unfold and if online platforms will still appeal to artists and audiences. But what I've noticed is COVID has sped up our need to explore other options for connecting through online live performance. Small platforms like Clappy popping up are hopeful signs of how we can further humanise online interactions. The benefit of streaming gigs takes away the barrier of needing to find and book physical spaces. This could be a turning point for arts and accessibility. Also, in terms of access, Large-scale performances can feature artists from all over the world and international audiences as well. And on the other end of that, smaller gigs through platforms like Parlour Gigs could see artists performing in more intimate and audience-centred spaces. In some ways, what I've found interesting has been watching DJ streams from people's homes. 
I really loved seeing the intimacy of people's personal spaces involved in the performance experience. For me, I'm thinking about setting up a live stream out of my own home, bringing more of my space and surroundings into my practice. At Arts Hub, we've been supporting Australian art for 20 years. Our team of writers and journalists keep the arts community informed and connected, a vital role in these challenging times. Right now, we need your help to continue being the go-to news source for the arts sector. You can join or give a membership to a friend at support.artshub.com.au. Thanks for listening to the Arts Hubbub. We'll be back next month. Review us on Apple Podcasts if you've enjoyed what you've heard. Our guests this month included Michaela Maguire, Josh Carell, Steph O'Hara and Matt Walters. The Arts Hubbub is produced by Michelle Macklem, Sabine Briggs, Richard Watts and George Dunford. Our theme music is Chasing Waterfalls by Tim Scheel. Music in this episode also by the other stars. And our coverage of COVID-19 is still free outside the paywall so that you can stay connected during isolation at artshub.com.au. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the Kulin Elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded.